When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. A little longer than usual. We are aware that we weren't able to fit one in uh, since the busy festive schedule kicked in, but it has been a very busy one. Everyone's spending time. We do actually give people time off here. Do we? Yeah, apparently so. Uh, Things have changed. (laughs) Travelling to games uh, and people's days off just haven't really lined up. So we are sorry that we haven't been back sooner, but we are here and we are here in not the circumstances we'd want to be. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, today, filling in for Phil Kirkbride, and I'm alongside Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Chris Beasley. And we will be chewing the fat, as Phil has told me I'm legally required to say, (laughs) over that dismal defeat at Anfield yesterday. Uh, Adam, I'll start with you because you were there. Was you there as well, pal? I'm just going to ignore it. Unfortunately, I was. (laughs) Adam, you you were covering the game for us yesterday. Talk us through how you're feeling today. Uh, Not much better, (laughs) to be honest. It's still... it, It was just a chastening experience for anybody of a blue persuasion who was in Anfield yesterday. Uh, one of them where you, as soon as you saw the team news, like you were thinking to yourself, oh, well, Ever- Everton should be winning this by a decent margin, but then there's that little voice in the back of your mind that's thinking to yourself, it still is Everton and Anfield though, isn't it? Like yeah. this could this could still go wrong, but I don't think anybody, anybody you know, in their heart of hearts really expected it to go as wrong as it did. And, you know, it, it shouldn't have gone as wrong as it did. You know, Everton had some really good chances in that first half. You know, that Mason Holgate header, he should be he should be burying that. That's that's the biggest chance, in my opinion, that we missed. But you know, Calvert Lewin missed a decent opportunity. Richarlison hit one straight at Adrian. Uh, there was you know that one right at the end of the half where Theo Walcott messed up the pass to uh, Richarlison, which should have which should have done better. And then you know, but when you're thinking to yourself, right, second half they'll really kick on and really take it to this young Liverpool team. It was com- the complete opposite. Like Liverpool just came out with all the energy, all the desire, all the belief that they could go on and win that game. And, you know, we had a team out there that had nine internationals on the pitch. They had a team that had you know, four or five teenagers, I think. Uh, one of them was 16 years old, and he ran Luca Dean ragged in the, in the second half. You know, it's, it's absolutely embarrassing, shambolic, spineless. You can call it what you want, to be honest. And I think the fact that, you know, most of them went straight down the tunnel at the end of the game shows the kind of mentality that was on display throughout the 90 minutes, you know, that's just absolutely not acceptable for anybody who was putting on that famous club crest yesterday and they should all be embarrassed of how they represented not just themselves, but how they represented the club as well. Similar sentiment from you, Prano? Just listening to all that and, yeah, echoing it entirely and trying to be a little bit more dispassionate, if I can be, about what happened there. Um, but it is, it's the worst I've seen. Uh, and I've, 1976 was the first one. Um, when it was an half eleven kickoff uh, at Anfield, when David Fairclough scored like that wonder goal, and uh, I'm not ashamed to say I went home in tears that day. <laughs> Didn't cry yesterday, but God, I felt sick inside because it was just so, so 
sham- you, you can pick any, any word you like, but it was just like so appalling. Uh, first half performance was okay. And, you know, like you say, chances were created. Well, I say created, they were largely gifted to us by some poor Liverpool defending. But that second half performance was just so lacking in character and lacking in spirit and lacking in any kind of drive. And to say that about a derby match uh, is quite appalling. And you feel for the supporters so badly. They've seen so many awful experiences at Anfield. And for me, that was the worst. The team selection probably contributed, uh, the Liverpool team selection, that fragile mindset we've got to go into Anfield. I think when that team sheet dropped, rather than a great kids, let's get into these, let's like sort of give them a good kick and give them a good hide. And it was like, a, oh, wow, what if we get beat by this gang of kids? That's going to be the worst yet. That kind of mindset seems to prevail rather than, a, you know, so let's get about them and try and intimidate them. And that's got to change. I mean, the personnel have got to change. I mean, an awful lot of players that were on, on duty yesterday uh, did themselves no favours whatsoever with Carlo Ancelotti. You know, he will have learned a lot about them straight away. Uh, but a mindset's got to change as well. And, you know, he's the right manager to change that mindset. But, God, he's going to have a lot of work to do over the next few months. He's from, from the first... I mean, Everton had chances in that first half, but it just kind of felt like some players were struggling with the basics yesterday, didn't they? Yeah. Um, when 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 they go to Anfield, it, it's it's like a mental block, and it, and it shouldn't... It shouldn't be like that um, at all. Um, they've been under several different managers. This this particular group of players, you can't bl- <laughs> when the record goes back twenty years, you can't blame it on one group of players because it, it's it's various different teams. But like we said, when that Liverpool team sheet came out, it should have been, yeah, this is the chance now. Twenty odd years, it's it, this is the opportunity to go and win there, and then and they. Just um, it's the, it's the worst one yet because you know whether it's um, last minute winners, whether it's getting thrashed there, whether it's conceding free goals. It's like the, there's no end to their creativity into into go lower and lower and worse and worse in a way to lose a derby match. And yes, yeah, so they basically lost to Liverpool's second team, and people are making much play quite rightly so of this old Shankly remark. The you know two great teams in Liverpool, Liverpool and Liverpool reserves. And let's get it right when when Bill Shankly said that. That was at a time, I mean, they brought out um, last week, very interesting, the all-time league table and how that has evolved over over 100 years. I mean, Shankly was great for coming out for these quotes. Certainly Liverpool fans would think that. But at at that time when Shankly probably made that remark, Everton would have been top of the all-time league table. Um, We also had another graphic came out recently we've used on our Echo site. Everton were actually ahead on the all-time derby head-to-head until I think about 1980, something like that. So to be in this position now where every time they go to Anfield and have this inferiority complex, it, it, it's just ridiculous. This isn't... Um, we're, uh, Everton aren't Espanyol to Liverpool's Barcelona. No, this is a team who for over a century were in, in the ascendancy. So what's gone on over this last generation? It, it's just ridiculous. Preno, for, for someone who's seen those Everton teams win at Anfield and, and, and seen Everton teams win, win the league ahead of Liverpool, though... Where do you think it starts for Carlo Ancelotti to fix it? Is it as easy as buying and selling players like some might hope? Uh, I, I got a, a message last night from a, an Everton legend who I'm not going to embarrass, um, but who just said recruitment, recruitment, recruitment over and over again and uh, suggested it started um, when David Moyes left the club and Roberto Martinez tried to augment a team that had finished sixth with four players signed from a team that had just been relegated 
uh, of which only one, James McCarthy, you could argue, was you know a success. Uh, the others weren't, and it has. It's got to come down to the players. Um, the players just weren't good enough. They weren't spirited enough. Again, trying to be dispassionate and trying to be a little bit more logical about it. And the team selection didn't help in that nine of those starting 11 played at Man City on New Year's Day. So they only had like four days to recover. Uh, they looked laboured. They looked leg weary. They looked you know, so a little bit leggy. Whereas Liverpool were, were fizzing the ball around. The players looked fresh. They looked sharper. So that contributed. But the greater experience, the greater you know, so a character those players should have, should have been more than enough to counter that. And we just didn't see it. I mean, one yellow card uh, for pulling a shirt. I'm not saying they should have gone round, you know, trying to two-foot the kids. But, you know, equally, they've got to try and show a little bit more aggression, um, intensity, uh, enough to try and, you know, sort of get possession of the ball, which they didn't have. A sort of gifted possession of the ball to, you know, a gang of kids. And the players have to hold the responsibility for that. Um, There were enough players there that I felt heard that much about it and you see that at the final whistle and it was probably a wise decision not to go over to the fans the way they'd have been feeling but it was just one play went over to the fans at the final whistle that's poor um I wonder how many of those players were hurting you know really badly afterwards I don't know I mean I wasn't in the tunnel I don't know if you you went down afterwards Adam but uh, I suspect they, they wouldn't have said a great deal but just the body language from some of them makes you think that this really doesn't get to them as much you know, Seamus Coleman's one that clearly you, you wouldn't, you know, point that towards. There's a man who wears his heart on his sleeve, but he was taken off, which was a surprising decision for me. Um, and that left a number of players out there that didn't seem to be hurting enough. Um, to be going into the last quarter of an hour of a game like that and not even having like a cavalry charge or, you know, so putting the ball into the box and trying to make things happen. It just left you feeling really flat and really disappointing. So, yeah, the players have to hold the responsibility. You can't criticise Carlo Ancelotti. He's been there five minutes and has already made a decent impression. So it has to be the players that, you know, to hold the responsibility. I think the main problem for me, like in terms of, you know, they should have had this sort of fight and desire and passion because nine of them started that game against Chelsea last month where they showed consummate amounts of it. You know, that that was one of our biggest battling performances of the season. And... There was just absolutely no no semblance of that whatsoever at Anfield. Like how can how can they change so drastically in such a short space of time to put in such diametrically opposite performances? I just I just I just don't understand how it is. And you know, you, you say that nine of them started against Man City as well. Yeah, maybe, but they, they, they can't be putting in a performance that lacks so much belief and fight yeah. you know if you're tired you're tired but you, and you there's can, four you days can, to be fair mm-hmm. it wasn't like you know sort of two days three days you know four days should be sufficient you know to yeah. recover your freshness and your you know your, well, they, your zest they put, they put in two performances within three days of each other in Boxing Day and against Newcastle yeah. I mean I know, you know it's a bit different opposition than going to Anfield but you know putting in two performances with loads of fight in three days why couldn't they have just done the same for for, for this one I, I just don't get it yeah like you say, the, the character, those teams in the late 90s, I think yeah, they only finished in the top half um, once, but I mean, they, they won at Anfield, and then they, obviously Walter Smith's side at last one in Anfield 99, they weren't a great Everton side, they they were finished the bottom half of the table that, that season, but you know they had the character, if they were that age now, they'd have gone and won yesterday, it was just, just sort of ridiculous, and it's probably similar sort of side to decide which was knocked out of the FA Cup last season at, at Millwall. Again, Marco Silva, to his credit, played a full-strength team at Millwall and got turned over by a team towards the bottom end of the Championship. So it, get, it goes down as another great FA Cup shock, the fact that Liverpool's kids have gone and stunned Everton's first team. You talk about <coughs> making impressions on Carlo Ancelotti. 
Crenoa and, and two people who seemingly from the reaction from supporters today, uh, certainly online, haven't is Gilfie Sigurdsson and, and Morgan Schneiderlin. Where, where do you think their Everton <laughs> futures lie after, after that show? Um, both very, very different, I think. I mean, uh, Morgan Schneiderlin, I've said in this room many times, uh, I, I query his attitude. And, you know, sometimes you'll get two or three really good games from him and you think, you know, Grace, you know, th- this is the kind of holding central midfielder we need. Then he'll go missing on a couple of occasions. Um, yesterday, a little bit of sympathy. He'd come in after having several weeks out injured, so he was off the pace a little bit. But he's not the future. He's not the, the long-term, you know, sort of uh, solution for Everton. Gilfie Sigurdsson is an enormous talent and does have, you know, creativity, but he's never going to be a central midfielder as long as he's got a hole in his backside. And he's got to, he's got to play somewhere else. You know, he's, he's got to be either behind the striker. Um, and, you know, can we afford to do that? There are probably better players in the squad capable of doing that role. If we play 4-4-2, he can't do that anyway. Um, does he play off the left? Again, maybe not. There are other players that can do that. So, regrettably, because I like him, I think he's a, a talented footballer, I just don't see where he fits into the squad. And so I think it could be elsewhere. I think, you know, whether they can find somebody to actually, you know, sort of pay a transfer fee for him at his age now and given the, the huge, you know, sum that we spent on him, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one to say and I, I don't like to say that because, you know, like I say, I like him as a footballer. You know, he scores goals, he makes things happen, but you can't do it from central midfield and uh, I just don't see where he fits in. Is it surprising to, to see what's happened to Sigurdsson this season, Adam, when you kind of remember that he, he was a crucial player last season and, and scored mm. 13 goals and it felt like Marco Silver had really unlocked a way to get the best out of him? It's so strange to me that, you know, such, you know, what what would seem to us like such a s- slight change of position has completely, like, drastically mm. changed Sigurdsson's form because, as, as Prano said, you know, last season we were seeing a player who was you know, not just creating chances for other people, but was getting into the box mm. and scoring goals. I think last season as well, the amount of times we'll have sat around this table and said, oh, Gilfie Sigurdsson's the one who works hardest and mm. he, he's always everywhere he's running about. But at this season, I, don't, I, I can't remember ever seeing that sort of performance from Sigurdsson. It's, well, especially not at Anfield there. I, th- I thought he, he looked slow, he looked leggy. don't think he put the, the required amount of effort in. And... You know, it's not it's not as if he was getting turned over by the greatest midfielders in the world. It was Adam Lallano and <laughs> Pedro, Pedro Chirivella. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got two experienced international midfielders in there against against you know a, a one of their more experienced players on the day, and you know a, a youngster who's mm. hardly had a game for the first team in however however many years. It's. It it is just strange to me that Sigurdsson can seemingly only play in that number ten role because he he does he does have the qualities that you'd you'd think would be able to translate to a central midfield role. You know his passing range usually is fantastic. You know he picks up the ball in spaces and he advances us up the pitch. That's what we needed from him in yesterday's game, and he just he just couldn't do it. It's 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 strange to me, and you know if if we were going to be, I don't think. Uh, a four-two-three-one is necessarily what Ancelotti wants to play. Even if he was to play that, and Alex Awobi is fit, I'd argue Alex Awobi fits into the number ten role a little bit better than Sigurdsson in the current crop of players. So, like as as probably agree with Preno, you just you're just starting to wonder if if Gilfie Sigurdsson can't find his form soon or reinvent himself into a different role soon, then you just wonder where he's going to fit in this squad in the long term. Is that the problem now? B is that you know, when you look at that entire 18 name, just they, 
there's a lot of players in that team, isn't it, that you could potentially question? Do they have a future for where Everton and where Carlo Ancelotti want to be? Yeah, I think that's the big problem is offloading them people and the heat in the moment yesterday come out with ridiculous statements like, you know, get get rid of the lot or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> let, oh, that even worse one, you know, let them rot in the reserves, which is, I don't <laughs> think it ever happens ever. But, yeah, you just can't offload these players. It's easier said than done. I mean, we, we look at people like uh, Kuko Martina and uh, Umar Nias, who have you know, been surplus to requirements for a long time now, st- both still on the books. And it goes to the same for these first-team players, whether it's somebody like Gilfie Sigurdsson, another one the wrong um, side of um, 30 and Theo Walcott. Um, it, it's going to be difficult to get takers, given that the huge contracts that, that they're on at, um, at Everton. And just going back to Sigurdsson a second, I think... What I would say, he's a player of spectacular moments, but when those spectacular moments dry up, you're in, in trouble. Very different sort of player to Tim Cale, but um, in that they're silk and steel, but as two attacking midfielders, they were similar in that they would always have a good goal output without necessarily offering a great deal in other areas. But once those goals dry up, which you've done with Gilfie, which in spectacular fashion has gone from joint top scorer last season to you know hardly... Getting, getting a kick this year, but apart from when he obviously was a bit angry and he came on against West Ham. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult though just to get rid of them, even if you're losing them for next to nothing in return in terms of transfer fees. Just having somebody prepared to take those big wages off the books. You, you mentioned before, Preno, about the uh, Gibral Sidibe being the only Everton player to to go over to the the travel and support at the end, and, and Gilfie Sigurdsson spoke a little bit about that today, and you know he kind of. Admitted it was a it was a little unusual, but but kind of said you know players have a different way of reacting to things, and the lads were all just so gutted. But what do you make of only one player and that being an on loan player going over to, to eight thousand Evertonians after a derby defeat? Deeply disappointing. I think it's got to be an obligation, uh, you know, so to go over there. I always think of um, the Wembley one where Sylvan Distan you know committed that absolute howler. Uh, and uh, the cost us the game, but then went over afterwards almost like with an act of contrition, uh, you know, so trying to apologise to them. And it was a, a, an act that was largely accepted by the majority of fans that were there because they appreciated, all right, you know, you didn't mean to do it, but, you know, it was, it was an error. Um, and he was he was sorry about it, and he held his hand up. It's almost like they were absolving their responsibilities by not wanting to go over because they were probably aware of the reaction that they would have got. Although, I mean, I I didn't hang around. I went straight down into the other press room afterwards, and uh, I think you said that myself, didn't you? That he got quite a decent reception yeah, from so the fans. Yes, so he got yeah. a good, good amount yeah. of applause from what I. So said. you know, whatever fears that you know the players might have had, you know, were, were unjustified. But should you be fearing getting a bit of flack over having put in a performance like that? You should have been going over there to apologise for it and again that hints at a lack of character you know so a lack of personality amongst a number of players uh, which again is so so disappointing and hence that again you know players need to be changed you know if you haven't got enough leaders and we've said it many times in here how many times has the captain's armband been you know switched around this season there are no obvious leaders in that squad um, Seamus Coleman you know isn't an, an obvious captain, and yet he's the one that seems most suited to it at the moment. Tom Davis, for me, you know, is far too young to be carrying, carrying that armband, although he does carry it with distinction when he does wear it. But Sigurdsson, well, you know, we've said enough about him, you know, so he should never be a captain of the football club. More, more leaders are needed. Yeah, I mean, it could become that leader in time, but, you know, he's still relatively new to the football club. But it does suggest that, you know, changes are needed, and lots of them. Wasn't Fabian Delft brought in in that respect, wasn't it, to have a vocal character yeah. within the dressing room? But unfortunately for him, he's been he's been in and out. It's been so stop start for him with the injuries. 
Mm. Were you surprised to see only Sidibe over there, Adam? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was I was expecting a few more. Uh, Mason Holgate did, you know, half-heartedly. He stood a bit closer to the halfway line, and he gave he gave the fans there a round of applause. But he stood a lot further back from where Sidibe walked up to. There was some suggestion that Jordan Pickford might have gave the fans a bit of applause yeah. as well. But he was already down that end of the pitch when the match ended anyway. So I might I might have personally missed that one. But yeah, I, I think a few a few others should have been over, and I think. You know, it's the bare minimum that those fans deserved was, you know, some some sort of recognition from the players that were on the pitch of, you know, the fantastic support, again, that they gave. You know, 8,000 fans coming over for a derby, that's that's an incredible amount of support. And, you know, the, the one thing that stayed constant over the over these raft of changes over the last few years is the Everton support home and away has always just been fantastic. And uh, it it just didn't seem like the fans got the credit that they deserved after that game, and it just you know it hints at a divide between the fan base and the and the current squad, which you just can't allow to happen. You know, some of the most successful times in Everton's history, it's because the fans have felt such a connection with the squad that it, it, it we we do feel like one club and one big entity, and I'd argue we just don't feel like that at the minute, and you know that's a part of the task that you know Carlo Ancelotti's going to face, of course, but. You know, Machiri will face, Marcel Brands will face. Fingers crossed, the new stadium will help. You know, kind of unify that. But you'd 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 like to think that things would be uh, fixed long before we're in Bramley Moor. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. I saw I saw a few comments on social media last night from fans, basically, you know, quite. Reasonable fans as well, not you know the usual knee-jerk you know types, basically saying the thinking twice about going to the game on Saturday against Brighton. Because I know that's not the reaction you want. You want to see you know a reaction from the fans as much as you do from the players. But because they're so disillusioned by what they saw, it's almost like well if they can't be bothered you know sort of putting in a shift for us, why should we be bothered putting in a shift for them? And it's dangerous when it gets like that. Um, you know, there's got to try and be some kind of reaction from both sides. I wonder if we'll have the siren at the weekend, you know, so is it, is it required, you know, for a game like that? But it, it's an important little spell coming up now uh, because after the initial uplift of Carlo Ancelotti's arrival, that was such a dispiriting downturn and it, it needs to be reversed very, very quickly because we're still, you know, so a bit too close to the bottom of the table for comfort. Well, they can't be passing the book anymore, can they? No. Like, you know, the last, you know, last month's derby defeat did kind of fall on the shoulders of Marco Silva, as you would have expected. But this time around, we, you know, there's no under fire manager that they can sort of hide behind. You know, we are in the middle of a January transfer window, but you know, over the next couple of weeks, there's only so much business that would ever be done. You know, the majority of this squad are gonna be here up until the end of the season, at the very least. They need to stand up over the next couple of weeks and take responsibility and prove to these Everton fans that they deserve to be wearing that badge because. They can't, they can't, they can't be putting in performances like that. Everton fans won't accept it. So moving on then, and Bees will come to you nicely segued by Adam. But it's our first podcast since the January transfer window open. What, what do you think needs to be addressed immediately? What, what do Everton need between now and the end of the season to yeah. at least start pushing away and more to the top half of the table? Yeah. Well, as we saw with yesterday's display, central midfield is still a big um, concern. But it's a strange one in that maybe it'd be scope for loan signings, possibly, because 
Obviously, you've got um, Jean-Philippe Gabin, whose Everton career almost, you know, hadn't really got started and he got injured. So you've still got him to come back, hopefully. And then Andre Gomez <coughs> next season, if not this season. So I certainly think somewhere in the centre of the park, but whether that's a permanent signing or whether that's a long sign, I don't know. And then, obviously, centre-back where they've been carrying just three players all season. So they went into the season to play, play a light in that department and could do some reinforcements there. <coughs> Depending on who's available, I mean, always a right winger, someone a bit of quality on, on that side of the park. But again, it might be a case of waiting to the summer on that one. Mm. Adam? Uh, I'd largely agree. But, and, uh, you know, going off the back of yesterday's performance and the amount of chances that we missed, maybe another striker, especially if we're, you know, if Umani Asses or offloaders, you know, Cenk Tosin's futures and in a little bit of doubt as well. If those two were to leave, then I think we'd need a, a, like a bit of a more experienced option. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be against the sign of a striker, but yeah, I agree with B's uh, central midfielder and a centre back should be the main priorities for me. So that's uh, centre back, centre mid, and centre forward. The entire spine of the team is lacking. I mean, we used the word spineless earlier, um, and yeah, it, it's absolutely right. I mean, Yerry Mina has been very very good this season, but you always got your heart in your mouth a little bit. He, he looks like a man who's capable of getting injured, you know, yeah. sort of quite frequently. And if he does get injured, you know, there's very little, you know, sort of in reserve to come in. So that's a priority. Centre mid would have been a priority, but for the fact, like you say, Gabamin, I'm not sure quite where he's at yet with his recovery, um, but, you know, hopefully not too far away. Uh, Tom Davis, you know, strangely not used at all yesterday. Uh, and then again, Andre Gomez. You know, so that's an area that, you know, possibly needs a little bit less, you know, sort of care and attention right now, even though we've just like torn Schneidlin and Sigurdsson to pieces. Uh, but yeah, forward line. Um, the, you know, to, to ask Dominic Calvert-Lewin to lead that line for the rest of the season, Um it's, it's difficult, you know, he has been very, very promising over the last uh, few weeks. He has scored goals. I totally endorse what Carlo Ancelotti said about him. Uh, but it's a long season and he is still a young footballer who's still developing. Uh, so it is asking a lot to ask him to carry that burden of responsibility. Um, is Richarlison, you know, a striker that can play off him? You know, he looks OK on occasions, but we don't know. Uh, if Tosin and the ass are moving on you know that is we need another centre another centre forward another striker definitely a goal scorer uh, they're the hardest players to attract you know certainly in a January transfer window although I know Cenk Tosin signed in a January uh, so it says but Marcel Brands again earns his money you know and uh, you know so tries to bring actually the ass signed in January as well didn't they We've signed some bad ones in there. Yeah, we should <laughs> necessarily call them goal scorers. Yeah. Not backing Carlo yeah. to get the best out of Moyes Keane then? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still torn on Moyes Keane. You know, I see him and I shake my head in disbelief sometimes because he sometimes can't do the basics. And yet, he made an impression at you on New Year's Day at Man City. He did okay. Uh, oh, how... Annoying with Steve McMahon. I mean, you, you, you there, you, you managed to have heard the commentary. I've not heard this now. Oh, uh, oh Moyes Keane's got to do better than that. He did great to get on the end of that volley. And, yeah. you know, so it was a spectacular overhead yeah. kick and just put it wide. Well, all, all throughout that game, he was like, you know, so I want to pop at Everton. Uh, for a man who wasn't Evertonian as a kid, you know, so for a long time. Um, but I don't know, I just, I'm not sure about Moyes Keane still. You know, I accept he's very, very young and there's still a lot of development, a lot of settling, a lot of, you know, uh, familiarising himself with this country and with this league to happen and Ancelotti speaks highly of him and tried to sign him at Napoli so yeah hopefully there's a lot more development to come but I'm still not seeing it at the moment so no I don't think uh, he's be an answer short term I'd like to see another striker brought in in the, in the medium term or immediately is, is that the problem at the moment Adam that there is a lot of ifs, ifs and buts in this squad isn't it that you know you've got your Moise Keane you know 
if Chubaman hits the ground running after his injury, you know, if, if other people can kind of pick the form up, you know, I don't think we've seen Luca Dina as best this season, you know, yeah. perhaps not Jordan Pickford. I think there's probably still more to come from Yeri Mina, Mason Holgate. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to Ancelotti and it's up to the players to, to kind of start getting that best out of themselves, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's the task that uh, Carlo Ancelotti signed up for. I don't think he'll have been under any illusions about, you know, the scale of the task uh, that's been presented to him. I think, you know, he wouldn't have been expecting uh, what happened yesterday, but I think that probably that and, you know, the defeat to Man City as well, they probably went to prove to Ancelotti just uh, just how big the job in front of him is. You know, it's going to be his toughest job in a long while to try and get Everton up to the level that not just fans deserve, but fans will expect, really. You know, with the amount of money and, you know, the amount of quality that we know that we've got in this squad. You know, Luca Dean was incredible last season and he hasn't reached those heights. You know, as you say, you know, Yeri Mina still has played really well this season, but, you you know, you, you think he, he's still got a lot more to give, you know, spent a lot of money on Moyes Keane, but when are we going to see the best out of him? You know, you need, he definitely needs to settle in this league still. Uh, Gabaman, I don't think we'll see the best out of him until next season after yeah. he's back mm-hmm. from injury because he's going to need time to settle. Uh, so, you know, there, there are a lot of extenuating factors to why Everton are in the position that they are, but, you know, that's the task that Carlo Ancelotti's got. That's why we've spent so much money to attract one of your best managers. You know, now it's it's time for uh, all the squad to knuckle down and prove to Ancelotti why they still deserve to be here. If I can just throw one positive out there, and let's face it, there were precious few there <laughs> yesterday. Um, the performance in two very, very difficult environments in recent times of Jordan Pickford. Um, he went to Newcastle, you know, where we know what happened last season, and yet looked an altogether more focused, more mature, more authoritative individual. And then again, um, at Anfield on Sunday, where he's had, he's had his own personal demons previously, and again performed, I mean, one absolutely outstanding save from Divock Origi, which I think Origi might have been pulled offside, you know, so I had it, you know, gone past him, but he didn't. It was a great save, but he, he performed with authority. His kicking wasn't great, I know, you know, he's a bit too hasty at times, but, you know, his handling of the ball, his, his marshalling of his defence. So, you know, two difficult arenas, you know, where he's had issues in the past and he's come through them both. I know it's only like clutching at straws, but that, that is one, you know, slight positive that I took from that yesterday. Some, some people did question Pickford for the goal, you know. Is that something you'd... No, no. it was just... I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Like he, no, it's gone in the off goal. the underside of the bar. I don't, yeah. I don't know how he's... No. I don't know how he's meant to get that. Initially, I thought it was an own goal. Uh, I said to um, Phil, who was sat next to me, I said, I think that might be an Oggy, because I thought it hit the crossbar, hit him on the back and gone in. Mm. And then I saw it again. And no, it was absolutely postage stamp. And no, no criticism whatsoever levelled at him for that one. What, what are your thoughts on, obviously there has been a little bit of talk about the, the goalkeeper bees. Are you still confident that Everton have got a long-term England number one on the hands? Oh yeah, I've not, not got any issues with um, Jordan at all. I think the only issues, like Dave has alluded to, would be um, his mentality in, in the past there. Obviously those antics up at Newcastle and um, what happened in the derby. So no, ability-wise, and to be fair to him, I think if you're looking at his kicking yesterday, he, he was put under the cosh by some pretty lackadaisical back passes. It was yeah. almost like Everton were trying to tippy-tappy in their own penalty area at mm-hmm. times. So 
No, I don't. He's certainly got a long way to go if you're talking about sort of comparisons with Everton's all-time greats like Neville Southall. But no, I, 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 hopefully Jordan's on, on the right tracks. No concerns in that respect. It's funny actually talking to Pete Tappy there because there has been like almost like a sea change in outlook in the space of a couple of weeks. You know, so Duncan unashamedly, you know, went direct, um, you know, as quickly as possible, get the ball forward to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, let's try and press high up the pitch. And it worked. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti's come in and he's tried to revert more to a more methodical, you know, sort of logical build-up from the back. Like you say, passing it around your own penalty area and got it out of your heart in your mouth at times yesterday because yeah. they didn't seem capable of doing even the basics right. So either Carlo Ancelotti will learn very quickly that the quality of the players at his disposal perhaps aren't equipped to do that or the players will realise, you know, they've got to try and, you know, sort of sink or swim with this uh, system very, very quickly. Otherwise, they won't be there much longer. But yeah, changing times ahead. It's going to be hard to, to earn total forgiveness for, for that performance, Adam, but we'll run a fixtures like Brighton at home, West Ham away, Newcastle at home, Wofford away, and Crystal Palace at home, you know, before we enter another another tough period. Carl Ancelotti must surely be be looking at these next four or five games now to, to earn so, some sort of redemption. Well, yeah, the... It, you still you still look at how close the Premier League is at the minute, and you know, two or three wins can really elevate you massively in in this table the way the the way it currently stands. So you know, you look at fixtures like that, and you you know, at the start of the season we've had, I don't think we can uh, take any games for granted at all. But you know, considering the results that we got in December, you know, like the win over Chelsea, draws with. Uh, Arsenal and Man United when you know could have easily turned them into wins as well. Uh, you know you've got to be targeting as many points as possible out of those games. You know I'd argue you should really be targeting 15 points out of those five games. And suddenly if you get that, you know you you're probably pushing yourself back up into the European fight again. And then I think our fixtures after that get a much much tougher. Mm. But you know you've got you've got to be aiming as high as possible now because this is it. This, this is what our season is now. It, it's essentially, can we get ourselves back into that fight for Europe? If we can't, then it's just another season of no trophy, not even a real trophy run. Bit of a mid-table mediocrity and, you know, it's a, it's another revamp in the summer. But, you know, there's a chance for these players to actually push us up into these European places. And, you know, that's what Ancelotti needs to be drilling in now. You know, he was... He was very clear after the match yesterday that he's like, right, we've got a week to prepare for this game now. I can finally get them on the training pitch and get some tactics into them, uh, which, you know, hopefully will pay some dividends. You know, Brighton at home. You know, Brighton have been playing well under Graham Potter, but this is a game that Everton really should be winning. But he's five points above the relegation zone, but but six points off uh, fifth, I think it is. So, you know, we we are as as mid-table as possible. Where do you think... Should be the aim for Everton. This do you do you think it should still be? You know the the, the we finished eighth last season. Yeah, I think Seven. the way it, it's just a bizarre beyond Liverpool, who are obviously running away with it, and they don't even need to be. It's a strange, strange division this year. Um, top, like you say, very little to choose between them. I think they, they've got to aim top half at, at least. Um, who knows whether they can push on for a, a European place? I mean, you could fully. Expect them to turn Brighton over on Saturday, and, and they better had to. But um, you expect them to do. But then again, it's it's too little, too late. I mean, it's it's won't be any sort of redemption for what happened at Anfield. Um, yeah, there's a group, there's a there's a sequence of fixtures coming up that look favourable. But like as Adam said, I mean, they said that at the start of the season, and look look what happened there. So you no, know, definitely can't take anything for granted, and they need to get those 
keep on getting those points on the board as, as, as quickly as possible so you can actually have a bit, uh, not relax, but look towards the, the business end of the, of the season without having to sort of be concerned of what's over your shoulder. The, the only thing that will redeem that yesterday uh, will be beating Liverpool uh, at Goodison <laughs> in a match that matters. Say for argument's sake, they need to win that game to clinch the title. You know, uh, win that one. It's happened before uh, when Wayne Clark scored. They were about to beat Leeds United's record of unbeaten matches from the start of the season and uh, came to Goodison in March and uh, Everton beat them to prevent them from doing that. You know, you've, you've got to beat a Liverpool side when it matters, you know, so when, you know, when it counts, you know, like at Anfield in a, uh, in a league game against a full-strength team. But it could also be, you know, if, if as Adam says, we take... 12, 9, 12, 15 points out of those next five games, it could also be winning to keep ourselves in the in the hunt for a European place. Yeah, it? I mean, that, that, that can change the mood very, very quickly. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Like you say, it is so concertina at the Premier League at the moment. Uh, three wins in succession and suddenly you're thinking, yeah, there's a possibility there. That then gives the side confidence to take into games against those tough runner fixtures that you talked about and hopefully perform better than them. But for that to happen, we've got to start winning these games. And when you read them out, my initial reaction was, Watford, new manager, that's tough. Um, you know, so <laughs> Brighton, they've like been awkward for a lot of teams this season. You, you look at it from a more negative viewpoint than you should do. Is uh, Probably what the players were doing yesterday when they saw that team. She's looking at it negatively rather than positively. <laughs> Maybe I need to be, you know, so you know, change my mentality and my way of thinking. It is just difficult. Do, do you think European football might be a step too far this season, Adam? Uh I don't think there's any reason for it to be a step too far. I think, you know, as I said, the, the amount of money we've spent on this squad and the amount of quality that we do have in these players, now with a world-class manager at the helm, you know, we've got all the ingredients there to really push on for a European fight. It's not as if the rest of the Premier League have been running away with it. You know, there's nobody who's really staking a massive claim for these European places at the minute. It needs somebody to come and do it. You know, so... There's no reason to suggest that Everton can't. But, you know, going off what has already been put in this season, it, yeah, if they, if they carry on the way they have done this season, then it will be a step too far. But this needs to be the catalyst now for a bit of a change in this squad's mentality more than anything else. So I think they should be aiming for European football. Well, I think we can leave a what's been a quite negative podcast on a nice positive, <laughs> a nice positive note there. Thank you very much for returning thank you very much for listening and we will be back later on in the week to preview that visit of Brighton at Goodison Park at the weekend we've been the Royal Blue Podcast thank you very much you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo